Well, good morning. Were you guys, uh, did you have a, as rude of awakening as I did this morning when I walked out and my breath was taken away by the, the big humidity that hit you? Oh my goodness, that was not what I expected at 4.45 this morning. Uh, hey, you may have recognized one of those tall, good-looking guys on the, the Czech team. It is very surreal to think that 19 years ago, I was uh, heading up and being entrusted with the students here at Fellowship and leading some of those trips to the Czech Republic uh, for the nine years I was the youth pastor here, and now to see one of my own sons uh, going over there and continuing the legacy uh, of mission we have in the Czech Republic is is a pretty exciting time. So uh, don't just pray for the, the team that's going. Pray for their parents that are left behind uh, because we will be anxiously waiting word to see what all God is doing. Um, as Ken said this morning, we are wrapping up Ephesians. We've spent six weeks. Uh, this is week number six. And we have been journeying through the book of Ephesians, a great practical book for us as the church. And I want to take a few moments just to look back, very high overview, very quick run through of where we have been, uh, starting with some background information, very basic background information, but it helps with what we're talking about today. Uh, The first thing I want you to know is Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He is imprisoned. He is sending out this letter uh, to the church while in captivity, um, and that is a, a major context for what we are talking about today as we talk about the armor of God. Uh, Ephesians has six chapters, and it's broken up into two major sections. The first section uh, talks about who we are, our identity in Christ. Uh, the audience that Paul is writing to is a believing audience, so in the context of people who have put their faith in Christ— uh, Paul uses chapters 1 through 3 to talk about who we are. And because of who we are, the second set of three chapters, uh, Paul then tells us how we should live. Because of what Christ has done, this is how we should respond in living out our faith. And so back in chapter 1, uh, part of our identity we learned uh, was through the Trinitarian work in salvation seeing that we were chosen by the Father in advance, not as an afterthought. We were redeemed in Christ, and we are sealed and secure by the Holy Spirit. You see all members of the Trinity working together in our salvation. Then in chapter 2, in our identity, we also have some new things. We have a new life in Christ. We have a new family in Christ. And uh, Michael talked about having a new revelation in Christ. And if this is all new to you, these are all on the website. You can go back and listen to them. You can study them. Uh, if you struggle with your identity in Christ, the first three chapters of Ephesians are so good to sit in and to soak in the truth that Paul teaches about those who have put their faith in Christ. Well, chapter four starts that second section that we talked about of how we should live. And Paul uses the metaphor of walking, and Michael's taking us through walking in unity, walking in holiness, walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom. And then last week, uh, talking about relationships and how to love well in the various kinds of relationships we find ourselves in. Uh, Even on Father's Day, issuing some good challenges uh, for us husbands. But that brings us to today. And today, 
We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And Paul is going to lay down a battle plan. Because what he's going to make us aware of is that there is a battle that rages on. And we may not be aware of it, we may not see it, but it is there nonetheless. And so Paul is going to start by giving us a battle objective. And as Ken said, uh, it is to stand firm. As the battle rages on, our battle objective is to stand firm in the battle. So let's jump in. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here at the end, Paul is summarizing, really summarizing the book of Ephesians. He's putting it into practical application with the metaphor of armor. But he says the goal is to stand firm. The resources are not our own. Do you see that he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. We're called to be strong and put on, but it's not from within us. It's not us mustering up the strength and the might from our own power. It's not utilizing our own resources. It's the Lord's. We are to be strong in him and utilizing the power that's available to us through him. And we are to take his resources, this armor of God, and put it on. We are to be actively taking uh, his resources and robing ourselves in them. And why? So that we can stand against the devil's schemes. We have an enemy that has a strategy, a battle plan, and an army ready to try to take us out. And Paul jumps further into that in verse 12, saying, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Multiple commentators call this the the spiritual mafia. They are well organized. They have a hierarchy. They have a battle plan. They are working in unison to oppose those who are following the Lord. And Paul says, this isn't something that you're going to see in flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. And the arena, he says, is in the heavenly realms. Now, the heavenly realms has a lot of mystery. There's a lot of things that I don't think we'll know this side of eternity. But if you look at Ephesians, Paul uses the words heavenly realms multiple times. So we can break down the passages he uses them and come up with some pretty clear things that are true of the heavenly realms. Like in chapter 1-3, Paul says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have what we need to be successful in this spiritual battle through Christ. In uh, chapter 1, verse 20, this is the place where Christ is seated. This is where Christ is. And in uh, chapter 2, Uh, Paul continues by saying, Christians are raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. As Michael taught a few weeks ago, uh, through the church, God makes known his wisdom in the heavenly realms. He uses the church here to communicate wisdom there. And finally, here in chapter 6, it is a place of struggle, a place of opposition. It is the arena of the battlefield that is raging on between the schemes of the devil and the plan and purposes of God. 
And there's a lot that I, I wish I understood and knew about this. But this is what Paul lays out for us here in Ephesians. So I, I went to a commentator uh, that's known uh, for his expertise in Ephesians. His name's Harold Honer. Uh, and he gave a really good practical summary of what Paul is talking about here. He says, It must be realized that, potential, that positionally believers have victory in Christ in the heavenlies. But in reality, the victory will not be fully realized until the subjugation of evil yet in the future. Positionally, we have victory in the heavenlies. But in reality, that won't be fully realized until later. He continues, Therefore, the struggle is a present reality which will culminate in the defeat of the devil and his angels at the second coming of Christ. So we have positionally uh, victory. And we know that ultimately that will be realized when Christ returns. But in the in-between, the battle rages. And Paul wants us ready and prepared for that battle. And this really made me think of a time uh, where I wasn't prepared. At age 15, um, I got to go to Hawaii because there were about 27 of us young men who had achieved Eagle Scout in, in our Boy Scout troop. And one of the parents decided that was something that needed to be celebrated. And so he oversaw this great fundraising effort to send all 27 of us and a few adults to Hawaii at age 15. Yeah, well, one of the places we went was uh, the, the beach at Pipeline, the Pipeline Beach. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's a, a world-renowned uh, place for surfers to go that has great uh, waves that surfers compete at the highest levels. But that wasn't the season we went, so the, the waves weren't very big. And even though we had a, a quick, bland, hey, just be careful out there, it's a little dangerous. Uh, at 15, I knew what I was doing, right? I mean, I was in shape, I could swim, and, and I was really smart. Uh, so, some of you seem to not believe that. Uh, so, I, I went out there and, and wasn't afraid and kind of showing people, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. And again, I was a good swimmer, great shape. I had just gotten my last merit badge for swimming a mile across the lake and avoiding snakes, so I was ready. But as I was carefree playing in the, the water, something hit me, and it literally knocked me off my feet. And as I was laying on my back, being drug out to the ocean feet first, I mean, so much flashed before my eyes. My short life flashed before my life. A panic of, I am going to die, flashed before my life. And in that moment, I felt this resounding word of stand. And so I slammed my feet down and pushed myself up and stood in the ocean. And although I was much further from the shore where I started, the water was still just below my knees. And I just stood there going, I had no idea that was going to happen. But I guarantee you, from then on, on Pipeline, I was a little closer to the shore, and I was always sure-footed. And even now, as my wife is looking for places for us to stay in Florida, one of the things I tell every time we go to the beach— to my kids, 
to the kids that come with us, if there's another family that's joining us, I tell them, listen, you never know what's going to happen in the ocean. If you get hit by a wave or a riptide or a current, you've got to plant your feet and stand. And here is Paul makes us aware of this battle that's raging on and our objective to stand. He continues to tell us how we stand. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, our objective is not to attack. It's not to advance. It is to stand our ground. That goes against much of what we think, right? We're like, let's take this hill. Let's Uh, go on to victory, but the victory has already been won, and Christians are to stand firm holding the ground that has been won by Christ. And so as, as we go through this armor of God, these resources that God has given us, remember, it is to stand our ground, not if the day of evil comes, but when. And this is a warning So that, like me, at age 15, carefree going about my life in the ocean, just gets knocked down and drug out, that it won't happen to you. So let's take a look at our resources. Our battle wardrobe, the armor of God. And it starts with the belt. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And what I I love is... Paul is using imagery that's right in front of him. Under house arrest, he is being guarded by Roman soldiers. Day and night, he is reminded of these battle-ready soldiers and how they are outfitted for any battle that might arise. And he uses that imagery to communicate to us as believers our armor that is greater than theirs. And it starts with this belt. This belt is a thick belt that goes around uh, a soldier's waist. It held their breastplate in place. It held their sheath for their sword steady. And it held their cloak so that they had the freedom to maneuver and do what they needed. And Paul says, our belt is truth. Our belt is the word of God. It is the truth that ties everything together and keeps us going steady and free to live as God desires us to live. But it also has a component of living that truth. Our lives being uh, full of integrity with what we believe, aligned with what we believe, not in opposition. Our lives, our characters should line up with the word of God. And if our lives don't line up with what we say our doctrine is, our lives need to adjust to the doctrine of of the Word of God. As uh, Chuck Swindoll says, we need the truth of doctrine and the truth of character to keep us from falling apart. We don't want all the rest of the armor to, to not do what it's supposed to do. We need that truth to tie it all together. Paul continues, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Man, this, the breastplate that these uh, soldiers used, covered all the vital organs. They covered the lungs, the liver, the stomach, and the heart. 
And you know, I think uh, there are two places that uh, the evil one wants to attack us. And one is our heart, our desires, our pursuits. And Paul says our defense against that is righteousness. Our right standing in, in the Lord because of Christ and us living out that righteousness through sanctification, ongoing, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live and grow and mature in our faith and, and live in holiness and more and more like Christ. And that should be our pursuit. That should be our desires. And that will protect us from all the distractions and the temptations that Satan will throw our way, trying to, to turn those passions and desires away from the Lord and to something less than. Harold Honer says, Just as the soldier's breastplate protected his chest from enemy attacks, so sanctifying righteous living guards believers' hearts against the assaults of the devil. We need God's righteousness and empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue to live in that righteousness day in and day out and to be aware that if we let down any guard, Satan is ready and aiming at that weakness in our armor to, to throw one of those arrows or stab us with a sword to, to draw a little blood and deter us from what God wants. Well, he continues, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Romans had these thick-soled, uh, I mean, they, they look like sandals, but they're more like boots that helped them to plant and uh, tackle any terrain that they would have to do battle in. And that is the sure-footedness that we are supposed to have that comes through the gospel of peace. The good news that the creator of the universe has made peace with us, the rebellious, sinful uh, creation, through Jesus Christ. And that peace is a firm foundation for us to stand. And that is one of the things uh, not only we stand in, but we proclaim to other people, because that is the only footing that is sure footing. As Swindoll says, our footing against Satan is our peace with God. We just tell Satan, hey, we don't need your lies. We don't need your deceptions. We are at peace with God. He is with us, and he is greater than you. And it repels the attacks of Satan. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish with uh, all the flaming arrows, not arrows, of the evil one. Back then, those shields were massive, about four feet. They could lock together. They could cover them up. I mean, if you've ever seen Gladiator, it's one of the best scenes in the movie, also one of the most gruesome, where they lock their shields and protect top and in front, uh, and they stand together. That is how Roman soldiers were trained. But they also would soak their shields. Uh, They were covered with a hide, and they would soak them so that as uh, their enemies would light up arrows and shoot at them, it would extinguish the flames. And there are so many arrows aimed at us. And the thing about this spiritual mafia is, is they know us well. They have a game plan for each one of us. They know our weak spots. They know our struggles. 
and they want to launch as many fiery arrows in our direction as possible. And we need this shield of faith. And what that looks like practically is believing no matter what comes our way, our response is to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do, and that he will not leave us or forsake us, that he will see us through it. And I know in this room there have been some people that have been through a lot, a lot lately and a lot over the years. And that shield of faith, it is what has steadied and allowed them to stand as all of the all of the lies, all of the exceptions, all of the things that would take people out, they raise that shield and see those flames extinguished. We got too much. Our defense against the barrage of enemy attacks is an ironclad faith in Christ. We need to be growing in understanding who Christ is and trusting him and building that faith through his word, through prayer, through community, knowing that Jesus is with us and will see us through. Next, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This helmet of the Romans covered everything except the eyes, protecting their entire face and head, but allowing great vision to to keep up with their enemy and to see what was going on. And I I think this is the other area, uh, a favorite attack of Satan's is our mind. And Satan wants to tell us that we are not good enough, that Christ really didn't pay for our sins, that we are too bad, we have gone too far, uh, that we are not worthy, and that his love isn't forever. But as we saw at the beginning of Ephesians, Man, you are chosen, not as an afterthought. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit because we have been redeemed by Christ, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our salvation. We are secure in our salvation. And that assurance is a buffer against the lies and deception that Satan will want to tell you. And and there are so many opportunities for him to try to get in there and mess with that truth. To try to cause you to doubt, cause you to question, cause you to pause. But a believer's assured destiny is a key defense. And if if that's a struggle of yours that you've put your faith in Christ, but day in and day out, you just struggle to believe that it's it's real, it's true, that God really isn't going to leave you or abandon you. Maybe something in your past has happened that uh, everybody that you've ever loved has left. Let me tell you, Christ is the one that will not. If you've been brought into the family, you are eternally secure. And that security is a ready defense against the lies of Satan. Finally, we get to the, oh man, that thing is sensitive today, Uh, we get to the one offensive weapon in the arsenal. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And uh, the word word uh, is typically logos, logos, uh, but this here is rima, and it's more of a a spoken word of God. So think of uh, in the temptation of Christ, 
Satan kept throwing out half-truths and lies, trying to, to trip up Jesus. And he responded with the Word of God, speaking it. But we have to know it well enough for this to be reality. We, we have to know the written Word so that we can speak that truth. What I love is uh, this is the one offensive weapon, and it's God's Word. It's our Scripture. It's something that we should be grabbing and reading and spending our days in, searching the truth, committing it to our lives and to our hearts and minds. Swindoll does a great job. Uh, one of the best quotes I've, I've had from him He said, the sword of the Spirit is not something we pick up as novices and wield like pros. Rather, it takes many years to grow in the Word of God, sharpening our skills, enhancing our knowledge, and applying it to our lives. Man, it's not something we just pick up and wield like pros. It it isn't the last minute when you most need it, you just grab it, and suddenly you're, you're proficient in it. No, no, no. It takes many years. It takes growth. It takes consistency. It takes practice of sharpening our skills and community to enhance our knowledge. And again, community to help apply it to our lives. But he continues, Then with God's word in our heads through memorization, in our hearts through meditation, and in our hands through application, then we have the power to effect change by speaking, by sharing, and living out that word. And if you want application from this message, right here it is. The Word of God, memorization, meditation, and application consistently over time is going to be where you're going to be able to speak, share, and live it out. And that would be a goal for every single one of us. I understand there are times where you might think, I need to be much further than I am, and, and you want to just kind of jump there, and, and you wish you could be... Anyone watch Star Trek? Okay, like three of you, thank you. Uh, there, there's a character named da- Data, Data that they can just download books and stuff, and he just knows it all. I mean, sometimes I wish I was Data. Uh, I'm not, because this takes hard work. This takes time. Uh, and, and I need to be committed to growing in God's Word consistently over time, reading and studying and memorizing and thinking about how it applies to my life. What would our community be like if those that called Fellowship Home did this? Did this for the next 15 years? How many more people would we be sending to the mission field? How many more people would be serving and impacting our local community here? How many more people would we be baptizing? Because the Lord would use that greatly as the Word of God, our offensive weapon, was wielded with expertise because we were students of His Word in applying it to our lives. I think the world would be much different. I think our community would be much different. So to summarize the armor of God, God has provided what is needed to stand. We must be intentional to utilize it. But then Paul gives us two more ingredients uh, for us to be able to stand. And the first is prayer. A bow necessity is prayer. Ken talked about prayer. We've prayed. And Paul says, <coughs> excuse me, and pray in the Spirit. 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray, pray, pray. Always about all things on all occasions for all people. Pray. Ken has, uh, I, I utilized some of Ken's resources. There's two pages, but they have four sides to it. Uh, Ken took six weeks to do uh, what we're doing in 38 minutes. And so he has a breakdown of each of his messages uh, for four of them out on the connection table. So I don't forget, make sure you pick those up. One of them is on prayer. It is worth the, the price it costs for you guys to grab it. Um, but we are to be people who pray. And I love that Paul doesn't opt himself out of this because he continues and says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the, mis- the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I just never really thought of Paul as someone that had any fear. And yet, he's reaching out, saying, pray for me that I will fearlessly proclaim the gospel. I love that he's involving community in his ministry. He's saying, hey, I am just like you. I'm weak and frail. And sometimes I don't want to be bold. Sometimes I have fear. I have hesitation. Pray for me. Because the purposes of Christ are greater. And I need that prayer. I need God's strength. I need his power to proclaim this gospel message boldly, as I should. Paul's partners in the gospel help him along. But here's what really convicts me about all of this. I think the prayer life is a gauge of your dependence or lack thereof on God. I think if you look at this past week, and evaluate how much you prayed, it tells you how dependent you are on the Lord in everyday life. The more you pray, the more you're telling God, I need you. I need your strength. I need your power. I need your wisdom in this situation. I need your direction. And the less we pray, we say, I got it. I can, I'm smart enough. I'm gifted enough. I'm talented enough. I don't need you, God. And that's a challenge to me. Because my theology, my doctrine says, I am totally dependent on God for everything good. Does my life line up with that doctrine? Does that, is that how my life plays it out? If not, I need to realign. And that's going to be uh, an opportunity for an application for this week. Finally, uh, we get to say a really fun word, okay? And we're all going to say it together. Everybody say Tychicus. Say it again. With passion, no. Uh, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may uh, know how I, am, how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Paul continues to connect with uh, his community. He's sending someone to update them on how he's doing, and I'm sure to bring a report back to him. And then he ends the book of Ephesians as he starts with peace and grace. He says, peace to our brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love.
Paul starts with peace and grace, and he ends it the same way. But, you know, as we think about this armor of God, we think about standing against the, the schemes, the battle plans, the strategies of the evil one. I mean, one of the things uh, that it brought to memory uh, was something that happened last week. My nine-year-old daughter, who had been playing with some friends, came running in, and her eyes were just full of tears. And, she, and I said, what's wrong? She's like, I said, no, you can tell me. And she looked at me and said, my friend uh, started calling me bad names and saying I'm a terrible friend, and she doesn't like me. I said, that hurt, didn't it? You know, this world is trying to beat us down and trying to change who we are. And I was able to look into that little nine-year-old's tear-stained eyes and say, that stinks. And you know what? She shouldn't have done that. But people do say hurtful things, and people are going to say mean things that aren't true about you for the rest of your life. But there is one whose voice should be greater than all the other voices. There is one who defines who we are and how we should live. And do you know who that is? She's like, you, Daddy? I'm like, no. I'm like, God. And because you put your faith in God, you know what he says about you? You're chosen. You're valuable. You're loved. You're cherished. And you have purpose. And God is going to do something great in your life. And you have to drown out all those other voices that want to tell you differently and focus on his voice alone and his purposes because that is where it's at. Can you do that? Yeah, Daddy, I think. Church, there are so many schemes out there to try to distract, to cast doubt, to tell us, that we're something we're not. We cannot let anything define us except God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the truth. We need to armor up. We need to stand firm in this day that is evil and know that at any moment, something can come out of nowhere and try to knock us off our feet. Summing up this passage, Christians must stand firm in the battle when clad in the armor of God, living a life marked by prayer and community. We need to suit up, we need to pray up, and we need to be locked up in community to stand firm on the ground that Christ has already been victorious on. Some next steps. I sure would love for us to be praying for the Czech team. They are going into the battle in the most atheistic country in the world with a very vibrant and growing church that is excited to proclaim the gospel to their community. Let's be praying for them this week. But maybe that, that prayer section hits you and you're like, man, if I look at my week, my dependence isn't very high, but I know I'm dependent on the Lord. Maybe we try to put that into practice this week, spending focused time each day going before the Lord, seeking his will, listening to his words, and just talking to him. What are you going to do this week with this passage?
Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the armor that you provide that we can stand firm. God, that we can uh, walk in you and, and hold the ground that you have won. God, thank you for uh, community. Thank you for the ability to communicate with you through prayer and walk with you. God, may we worship you and walk faithfully with you this week. Amen.